This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM, 103.1 FM, WMET, the Guadalupe Radio Network. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore and the Catholic Review. How does the Catholic Church evangelize at a time when so many people reject organized religion? What impact has secularization had on evangelization, and what have recent popes meant when they use the term new evangelization? Sulpician Father Robert Levitt, a former president-rector of St. Mary's Seminary in Baltimore from 1980 to 2007, explores those questions in his new book, The Truth Will Make You Free, The New Evangelization for a Secular Age. We're very happy to have him on as our guest today. Here's our interview with Father Levitt. Father Bob Levitt, thanks for being here on Catholic Review Radio. You're welcome. As you outline in your book, the new evangelization is a concept that's been discussed through all the recent papacies going way back to St. Paul VI. But Christians have been called to evangelize from the founding of Christianity. Could you explain what is meant by the term new evangelization and how does that connect to the original mandate from Christ to spread the good news? Well, the church, of course, is in continuity through tradition back to the apostolic community and to Jesus himself. So our mission remains the same across all the ages. But uh, in each culture where the gospel has incarnated itself, whether it's in Greece or Rome or in Germany or France or England or Czechoslovakia, it has had to adopt many of the features of the local culture and the language to translate the message of Jesus given originally in Aramaic and Hebrew in in the Hebrew culture to translate it across all those cultures to make it understandable to the people who are living in that particular world. And that's what makes the new evangelization uh, a challenge, how to do that in what amounts to a secular culture which is what we have today. Each of the popes of the, of the last recent papacies have given different emphases to the new evangelization. Could you talk about which each of, what each of those popes have brought to the new evangelization? Sure. It was Pope John Paul II who actually inaugurated it. In a more specific way, you could credit Paul VI with it because he uh, called a synod of bishops in the early 70s to discuss uh, the issue of evangelization, but he didn't use the expression the new evangelization. That was uh, coined by uh, Pope John Paul II, but it wasn't even coined by him. It came from the bishops of South and Central America who were struggling to evangelize or re-evangelize or new evangelize the cultures from Mexico all the way down to Tierra del Fuego at the end of uh, South America. And these were cultures that had originally been 
colonized by Christians, and they were deeply Christian. It's still the largest Christian continent in the world, uh, but they were drifting away from the faith. And the South American bishops wanted to launch what they called a new evangelization in Spanish, you know, Nueva Evangelización. And uh, John Paul II borrowed that. And he said uh, he was trying to launch a global new evangelization for the church. And it, it, he gave it just very general characteristics. He said it's, it's a new zeal uh, for spreading the faith, uh, using new methods and new languages to spread the faith. And he wanted to see greater passion in the church. And the focus right after uh, John Paul II was largely on catechetics, of trying to recover a sense of understanding of the Catholic faith and the Catholic tradition, which the church felt had uh, fallen apart after the Vatican Council. And he was followed by Pope Benedict XVI, who uh, built on him, but he added three specific things that he's credited with. One thing he he said that modern culture had become a culture of relativism, uh, going so far as to say it was a dictatorship of relativism, telling people nothing was true. There was nothing that you could count as true and absolute. And he wanted Christians to be prepared to respond to that. Uh, he also created a pontifical body in the Vatican to oversee the new evangelization globally. Uh, so he systematized it that way. And finally, he did something very interesting. He visited Czechoslovakia, which is the most secular country in Europe, um, and he received a surprisingly warm welcome from those people uh, whom the church had previously characterized as secular atheists and things like that, and they were very interested in his proclamation of the gospel, even if they disagreed with it. They thought it was very, very interesting and intelligent. So he kind of opened a new dialogue with the secular world rather than a culture war with it, which is what some people thought we had found ourselves in. And finally, Pope Francis, he wrote the apostolic exhortation on the synod on the new evangelization, which took place in 2012. That is called The Joy of the Gospel. It's a very inspiring text, and I would encourage all your listeners to get a hold of it and read it. It's the most up-to-date uh, interpretation of what's involved in the new evangelization that the Catholic Church has. He also placed a stronger emphasis on missionary discipleship than either John Paul II or Pope Benedict did. They mentioned it, but Pope Francis has made it much more central and much more dominant in his understanding of the new evangelization. And finally, he shifted the new evangelization uh, as Benedict had done toward the end of his papacy away from a culture war uh, with the secular world to more dialogue with them and a stronger Christian witness to them um, and an ungrudging uh, recognition that there are good values in secular culture that the church has adopted and purified and continues to use. 
why do you think Christianity and even just a basic belief in God has become so weakened in the popular culture? Well, that's the uh, heart and soul of the whole book, really. Uh, the book has nine chapters, uh, and five of them are on the subject that you're asking me about. How did we get from a Christian culture, which we associated maybe with the Middle Ages, with the high Middle Ages in the 13th century, how did we get to a culture which is not only not Christian, but in many ways irreligious? And the challenge there, of course, is to tell a narrative and a story, not a series of abstractions. So in writing the book, I relied on the narrative of the emergence of the secular world or the secular age that was written by a French-Canadian Catholic philosopher, Charles Taylor, in a book called A Secular Age. It's a very long book. It's a very complex book. But it laid out what had happened between 1300 and our current age and how many small changes changed the world from being a Christian civilization to being, at least in the West, in Europe uh, and in the United States, a secular civilization. You can go back basically to two or three things that I mentioned in the book that are decisive for this. The first thing is uh, the 17th century wars of religion. After the Protestant Reformation, Protestants and Catholics were attacking each other. Exactly the things we condemn now with Islam, uh, Christians, Catholic and Protestant, were doing to each other. Philosophers and uh, thinkers begin to say we have to move beyond a culture of religious wars. So they adopted certain principles of freedom of religion. So if the head of the state was Catholic, he couldn't force people to be Catholic. Or if he was Protestant, he couldn't force people to be Protestant. But there was the birth of the idea of religious freedom. And the founders of our country adopted that idea. They basically said pluralistic societies with different religions and different beliefs need to have freedom of religion, freedom of belief. And that means the freedom not to believe. So that's one very important stage. And we just accept that now as part of our normal life in America but it was not accepted at the beginning of the 19th century by the Catholic Church, and it was not accepted at the beginning of the 18th century by the Catholic Church. That was thought to be the beginning of the end of civilization if you allowed people to believe whatever they wanted to believe. The second change that came about is uh, modern factors of industrialization and uh, urbanization that took place in the late 18th and, and throughout the 19th century. Uh, maybe, maybe to give you a very concrete illustration of that, when people were believing Catholics in rural villages and they were farmers in the 18th and 19th century in France, the local parish was the center of their world. In the 19th and early 20th century, when they moved to Paris, that changed. So the parish was no longer the cultural center that took religion and basically fused religion with festivities, with 
marriages and funerals and baptisms and education and dances, all of that, suddenly you're in an urban environment where other institutions are providing those kind of services. Festivities take place at restaurants, not at parish basements. So you begin to have some of the functions that religion had once provided for people, social functions, some of those now begin to go away from the church. And they start to lose people because of that. And I once read a story about French peasants who were embarrassed to go to church in France because they didn't have the right clothes. Uh, you know, they wouldn't go to Notre Dame Cathedral because they were very, very simple people. And they saw, you know, wealthy people driving up in coaches. And, and so they would stay away. And the church tried to respond to that, but it was very, very hard uh, to do that. Then there's the scientific revolutions that took place where people began to think science has all the answers, not religion. And they begin to point out that religion thought certain things about the world, when the world began, how it began, and uh, taken from the Bible and from Genesis. And then the scientists said, no, that's not how it is. So religion began to lose credibility because some of the answers it gave to scientific questions were proved to be wrong. Now, the issue really, of course, is Genesis is not science in any case. It's a religious interpretation of the origin of the world and of human beings. But uh, religion suffered a kind of body blow from all of that. So all these factors which we've adopted into our lives they had a very uh, significant effect upon the openness of people to religion and just thought, well, it looks like we were wrong about these things. So maybe we've been wrong about other things. Uh, and that begins to open up what many people call a kind of culture of doubt, of suspicion about religious propositions that didn't exist previously. Our guest today is Sulpician Father Robert Levitt, author of the new book, The Truth Will Make You Free, The New Evangelization for a Secular Age. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation, looking especially at how seminarians are being prepared to engage a secular culture. I'm George Matisek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. A 21-year-old alumnus of Mount St. Joseph High School in Baltimore was killed August 1st while riding his bike in Uppercoe when he was struck from behind by a car. Isaac Scharbach was the son of Father Albert Scharbach, 
a former Anglican priest who joined the Catholic Church with his family before becoming a Catholic priest several years ago. Isaac was remembered as a deeply devoted Catholic and a gifted iconographer who spent time studying his craft in Cyprus and with monks at a monastery at Mount Athos. One of nine children, he was a double major in arts and classics at Davidson College in North Carolina and had been considering a call to religious life. Quote, As his priest, I gave him communion daily, said Father Sharbach, a former pastoral assistant to Bishop Dennis J. Madden and current pastor of Mount Calvary Catholic Church in Baltimore. He always received the Eucharist as if it was his first time receiving, his last time receiving, his only time receiving. End quote. You can read more on this story at catholicreview.org. On a lighter note, we hope you've had a chance to visit our new website at catholicreview.org, featuring local and national news and other stories impacting the Catholic community. The site's improved search feature allows for easy access to all of your favorite Catholic Review stories. And as a friendly reminder, wear your mask, social distance, and wash your hands often to protect you and those around you. From the virtual newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matasek. We've been talking with Father Robert Levitt, a Sulpician priest and author of The Truth Will Make You Free, The New Evangelization for a Secular Age. Father Levitt, you served as president-rector of St. Mary's Seminary in Baltimore from 1980 to 2007, at a time when secularization seemed to deepen in the wider culture. What impact did secularization have on the men who were answering the call to religious life? And how did it impact how you prepared those men for the priesthood and in trying to engage the wider culture? Well, uh, first of all, I came out of a Catholic culture myself when I was baptized in 1942 and became a priest in 1968. And people of that generation were largely raised in Catholic cultures, intact cultures, intact families. After the cultural revolutions of the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, things began to change, and seminarians didn't come from families that had been practicing Catholicism in a traditional way. Many of them were searching and looking for answers on their own, but didn't have a lot of background that that they had received. So the emphasis was a lot on supplying some of that background catechetically and theologically in the seminary. They were also rather immature in terms of social uh, and uh, sexual life. They were in seminaries from the time they were very young and and suddenly went into the priesthood and had no normal kind of development that way we would understand that today. People were in seminaries when they were 13. Now our seminarians, many of them have held jobs in the public Fear, been lawyers, been insurance agents, been social workers. They've had normal psychosexual development with women in high school and college. They're much more mature today than they were uh, when I first got involved in seminary formation. And I think that's a huge jump forward. Uh, the secular scientists were very helpful to us in that, especially psychology. 
in the early 60s and the 50s, there were no psychological exams given to seminarians who said they wanted to be priests. There were no tests that said this person is poorly developed. He doesn't have a good background in uh, psychosexual relations. And now they have to go through a full battery of tests, which I think makes them much better prepared for the challenges of priesthood, the challenges of celibacy, the challenges that come along with uh, being a mature spiritual leader in the Catholic community. I think these are the best seminarians I have ever educated in my priesthood. How does a, a new priest engage a culture where so many people just don't believe in God or, or reject organi organized religion in any form? Well, that's of course the sixty-four thousand dollar question. <laughs> uh, if you go to if you go to every parish in the diocese, you can tell that the church is getting older and grayer and the people in their 20s and 30s are missing. Even when you have a lot of people in church, you may have young couples with children, but as soon as they become teens, as soon as they go off to college, we've lost them until they're back in their 30s when they want their baby baptized or want to be married. So we've lost people for 10 to 15 to 20 years of religious orientation in the church. Popes, since Pope John Paul II, have emphasized these World Youth Days precisely for that reason. The church is losing the youth. These are the people who are procreating the next generation. And unless we get them in church or get them somehow in contact with the Catholic and Christian tradition, we're going to find ourselves in a worse state 30 or 40 years from now. So the biggest challenge faced by the church today is the challenge to reach out to the young and to try to get them engaged with the Christian faith and with Jesus Christ. Pope Francis has emphasized this whole notion of missionary discipleship and this, this focus on accompaniment of, of being with the people where they are. How important to evangelization is that, the, the developing of relationships and walking with people? The popes have used this expression, missionary discipleship, to uh, replace an older word, which I guess you would say, I'm a Catholic. Uh, but saying I'm a Catholic is an identity statement, but it doesn't tell you what you do. People could say, I'm a Catholic, but not go to church. They could say, I'm a Catholic and not believe the doctrines of the church. Missionary discipleship means you're not only a believer, but you're an agent for the church. Let me explain this. Our secular age is largely a commercial market capitalist economy age. We are great makers and producers of things. And people in America today largely see themselves in those categories. They are consumers. That's how they understand themselves. Only secondly, do they see themselves as citizens and in many cases, thirdly, as religious people. They are consumers. They buy things. They work to get money so they can buy things. Unfortunately, that consumer idea has migrated over into Christianity, where the laity are led to believe they are consumers of sacraments, consumers of what priests or sisters or religious brothers do, they consume it. They go to church and consume the sermon, and they consume the host, 
and then they go home. But they don't think of themselves as a missionary disciple sent forth by Christ or by the pastor. They think of themselves as someone who came to church to get something. They got it. Now they're going to go home. And they're hoping that what they got will help them be better people, better Christians. But they're not agents. I think the missionary discipleship idea comes down to this. You have to, as a layperson, see yourself as the producer of this religion. Not producer in terms of creator of it, but the producer of the experiences that are Catholic and Christian that will win people over to Christ. You produce that by getting involved in your parish or whatever organization you're associated with, Catholic Charities, Catholic Relief. You're producing the religion, not consuming it. I really believe this is the heart of the matter of the new evangelization notion of missionary discipleship. Accompaniment, the second term you mentioned, uh, has to do with the Christian notion of community. None of us believes alone. Believing alone is not, in a sense, possible for Catholic Christians. We are members of communities. And as members of communities, we receive our faith in, in communion with other people. If people try to believe alone, soon enough they will end up not believing. It's a, it's a very fundamental fact of our faith. So accompaniment, being with people, helping people come together in the name of Christ is central. Our guest today has been Sulpician Father Robert Levitt, author of The Truth Will Make You Free, The New Evangelization for a Secular Age. Father Levitt's book was awarded first place for theology books by the Association of Catholic Publishers, and you can find it through the liturgical press or by searching on Amazon. Father Levitt, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, George. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week, available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WJSF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us 
and keep us always in his love.